And at this time, let's open up to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to see what the word of God says. All right, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of your family. We thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. And Father, we have the pleasure of opening up your word. Many have called your love letter. So, Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, in every room, every building on this campus where your word is being taught, I pray that your word will go forth and not return void. I pray that each and every person who hears your word, who teaches your word tonight, will have receptive hearts to what you desire to speak into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you'll empower and equip, strengthen every servant. Keep everyone safe on the grounds tonight, Father. And I pray that you just work in our hearts, Lord. May we leave this place better than when we came in, Lord. Father, you know every need, even before we ask. And Lord, I pray that you would meet those needs. You are certainly able, Father. Your word says that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we praise you for that. And I pray, Father, for the gift of teaching, the fresh filling of your spirit, that I would decrease, you increase, you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Bible teachers and Bible readers like yourselves who have read Romans, read through Romans, you may have come to Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, then chapter 11, and you may have wondered why there seems to be an interruption in this letter to the Roman believers. Because in Romans chapters 9 through 11, it begins to talk about Israel, the nation of Israel. And what we're going to see in these chapters is that just as God has a plan for the Christians, for the church, he also still has a plan for Israel. And we can see that in the Old Testament. That's why we encourage you to read the entirety of the Bible. And in these chapters that I mentioned, 9, 10, and 11, and of course we'll spend time only in chapter 9 tonight, we're going to see Israel's past, present, and future And then we're going to learn some spiritual truths and attributes of God. And those things are going to be a blessing to us. There may be some things about God that you learn that maybe you never realized before. Maybe you never heard about these attributes or never had an understanding of those attributes. But as I use that word attribute, speaking of the attributes of God, What I mean is, these are things that are true about God. Things that are true about God are his attributes. And they are only revealed by God himself in his word. And so the reason why we know that God is holy, that that's an attribute of God, is because God revealed that he is holy in his word. The reason why we believe and we know that God is love is because that's how God revealed himself in his word. And so that's what an attribute is. And so we're going to learn more about his attributes 
as we study chapters 9 through 11. And like I said, some more spiritual truths that we can apply to us, even though we are learning about Israel's past, present, and future. And so in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit or guided by the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed or cut off from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, in this letter to the Roman believers, as you remember our studies in chapters 1 through 8, Paul has shown that unbelieving Jews are sinners just like unbelieving Gentiles. He showed that the Jews, although they possessed the law, they may have read the law, memorized the law. Although they go through the ritual that is the males of circumcision. Those things are not going to save them. They learned about those things. And they also learned that both Jews and Gentiles must be justified by faith. And this righteousness can only come from God. The only righteousness that matters. And it is through faith in Christ. Now, a Jew who may have heard these things, may have read these things in this letter, they may have some hard feelings towards the Apostle Paul. And so the Holy Spirit in his inspired word gave that inspired word to Paul to address this type of issue. And so before it is even spoken of this perhaps hypothetical issue of Jews being offended because of what they've heard about themselves and Gentiles. We have what we have here in chapter nine. And so the apostle Paul felt the need to affirm his love for his countrymen. How much he loves his fellow Jews. He, he had to show that because they may feel at this time, downtrodden. Well, we have the law, the prophecies, and all these things, and it's not doing us any good because you're saying that we're sinners like everybody else. As a matter of fact, Paul, you might be against us too. You you don't like us either, but he's like, no, I, I love my countrymen. In fact, I love my countrymen. I love the Israelites so much and that I want to see them saved to the point that If it were possible, if it would help them, I would wish that I myself would be cut off from Christ. And this is also the same heart that Moses had in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. When they worshiped the golden calf while Moses was on Mount Sinai. And then, of course, judgment was brought against them. Thousands of them were killed and God wanted to wipe them out and Moses interceded on their behalf. He had this same type of heart that we're reading about tonight. In Exodus 32, 32, Moses says, 
Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Both of these men of God had a tremendous love for their countrymen, for the Israelites. And getting back to the apostle Paul, we can, we can see an example of his love for the Jews, for those who are of the nation of Israel. Because when he would go on his missionary journeys, and we'll see this in the studies of Acts as Pastor Jim goes through them, we see that the Apostle Paul, when he went on these journeys, he would stop in the synagogues. He was reason with the Jews and try to show them that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He'll preach the gospel to them. And then when they would reject the message, then, of course, he would turn his attention to the Gentiles. But he always had a heart to reach the Jews for Jesus. And as we focus on the Apostle Paul and think about his love and his heart for his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, I wonder tonight if we have that same heart for our countrymen, for people in this nation. Are we praying for the people in this great nation? Are we praying that there will be revival or some type of spiritual awakening that God will lift the blinders from many who have been laid astray, led astray? Have we been praying for those who have hard hearts and those who have fallen into and have taken a hold of false doctrine or teachings that God will pull them out of that? Do we have that same type of heart for other Americans. How about for those in our communities? How about those in our families? But Darrell, you don't know that family member gets on my nerves. But have you been praying for them? Verses five, four and five, it says, who are Israelites? And of course, that's referring to Paul's countrymen to whom pertained the adoption Because remember, God referred to the Israelites as his son to whom pertain the glory. Remember, God revealed his glory to them on Mount Sinai and in the tabernacle and temple. And of course, his glory is a sign that God is present, that that God is at work. And to them pertain the covenants. Remember, God made covenants. He made agreements with Abraham and his descendants and King David. And he even promised a new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. And then it says the giving of the law. Of course, we know that God gave the law to Moses and Moses shared it with the people of Israel. And to whom also to these Jews, these Israelites pertains the service of God. And that pertains to the worship, the priesthood, the offerings, the sacrifices, things like that. And also, of course, the promises, plenty of promises in the word of God. One of which is the fact that they would always, always own Canaan, the promised land, Israel. It is the land that God had promised to Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and and to their descendants. That's just one of the promises. And we know, of course, that they're in the land today. Although in unbelief, they're there in the land today. And of whom are the fathers in verse 5? Verse 5. 
And the fathers are the patriarchs. Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and from whom? And this is the highlight. According to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. And so in those verses, we see that the Jews have many great privileges. And as I mentioned, the main privilege is having the Messiah come through their bloodline. And of course, we, we celebrate Christmas where, where Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus took upon himself a human body. And so we celebrate that this month. And it's something we should be celebrating every day. The fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is eternal life. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we should also have the cross in mind. We should also have the resurrection in mind. Not just on Resurrection Sunday. But it's such a blessing that the Messiah, as a human, was an Israelite, a Jew, all these privileges. But, of course, the Jewish people, majority of them, took those privileges. They took those blessings for granted. But in regard to us, how many blessings, how many privileges do we have that maybe we're taking for granted today? How many Bibles do we have stored in our houses or perhaps in the trunks of our cars that we're not using? How many Bible studies have we listened to? How many Bible study sessions have we sat in? How many biblical one-on-one counseling sessions have we had and not appropriated the word of God, which some people haven't even had the chance to hear? Some nations, some, some believers have to take one page at a time and trade pages in the Bible. There's not enough copies of the Bible to go around for some believers. But how many privileges do we take for granted as believers? How many resources do we take for granted? We have all these resources. Many people that God had gifted to to study the word of God and to study science from a Christian perspective and history from a Christian perspective. Have websites and so forth and yet and still we we don't take advantage of those or how about this as believers we all have the holy spirit true believers we have the indwelling of the holy spirit but yet and still we take him for granted when we don't surrender to him when he's leading us and we ignore him the scripture says that we can grieve the holy spirit the scriptures say that we could also quench the holy spirit And so we as Christians, we also take these spiritual blessings for granted. But before we move on from verse five, I want to point out, and maybe you picked up on this, that that verse five reveals to us or gives us another piece of evidence that Jesus is God. Because notice that it says that that according to the flesh, Christ came. So according to his humanity, he was a Jew. He was an Israelite. But then notice it says, who is over all, comma, the eternally blessed 
God. That's who Jesus is. He is the eternally blessed God. So when we say that Christ has two natures, that's what we mean. He is fully human and fully God. Always was God, always will be God. But at a certain time in history, he became a man. For the purposes that I shared with you earlier, of course. Went to the cross. He he died for our sins. In verses six through nine, it says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Because remember, he's heartbroken. Apostle Paul is heartbroken that his fellow Jews, Israelites are not saved. And so he says. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect, that it has failed in regard to the Jewish people. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called, which is what God told Abraham in Genesis 21, 12. That is. And and verse eight explains verse seven. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. In other words, the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring for this is the word of promise that was made to Abraham. God said at this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Now, since all Israel are not saved at this time, and therefore they're not all experiencing the promises and the blessings from God, some of them may think that maybe God's word, his promises have failed, have failed to take, take fruit in their lives have failed to come to fruition in their lives. But of course, we know that God's word indeed has not failed to be fulfilled in them. And these scriptures point out that there are some who are Israelites by name only. They are Israelites because, of course, they call themselves Jews or Israelites. They live there and so forth. But then they are physically Blood related to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. They're just children of the flesh. Only Israelites by name and by physical descent. In other words, if you remember the story of of Ishmael, he is related to Abraham. But Abraham and Sarah got together or Abraham listened to Sarah and he went into her handmaid Hagar to help God fulfill the promises he made to them that, that he would give them an offspring. They'll have many descendants. And so they didn't have children at the time. They're in their old age. And so Abraham listens to Sarah and has Ishmael with Hagar. And so Ishmael, because it was not according to God, but according to them, to Abraham and Sarah, He is called a son of the flesh. And so there are many Israelites who are Ishmael's, so to speak, in the sense that they are only related to Abraham 
by flesh, by physical descent. He was not the child of promise that God had promised them to Abraham and Sarah. And so are those who are only children of the flesh, only children of Abraham by name, Israelites by name. They are not children of the promise either. But those who are related to Abraham physically and spiritually, that is sharing the faith of Abraham, that is receiving Jesus as their Messiah and now having a personal relationship with God. These are the true Israelites. Because remember, we're talking about the nation of Israel. Not all who are of Israel are Israel, are people of God. But those, of course, who receive Jesus as their Messiah, they have now become a completed Jew. One who was physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then on top of that, received Jesus as their Messiah, as the Bible prophesied of. They're completed Jews. And so within this physical nation of Israel, you have spiritual or true Israel. And they are like Isaac because Isaac was the child of promise. He is the one who experienced those, those spiritual blessings, who experienced the promise, promises of God. And the ones who are physically related to Abraham and spiritually through faith in Christ, they are also experiencing those spiritual blessings. And so, yes, God's promises have taken effect. The word of God has taken effect. But within true Israel, that Israel who are of faith, the same faith as Abraham. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, we studied this a while ago, but it's appropriate for this point in our lesson. It says, for he is not a Jew who was one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so that supports what we're talking about. True Israel, those spiritually related to Abraham, those who have a true relationship with God, true Israel. You know, those are the one whose praise is not from men, but from God. They've been circumcised in their hearts. And it brings us to Christians. Because this happens in Christianity as well. Because there's some Christians who think that they're because they're physically a descendant of another Christian or grandma was a Christian. My uncle or aunt, they're Christians. So I'm okay as well. I have a relationship with God as well. That I'm going to heaven as well. But the scriptures never teach that God has grandchildren. He has children. And each person has to put his or her own personal faith in Christ and have their own personal relationship with Christ. And so all this talk about Israel and, and true Israel within the physical nation. Same thing happens in Christianity. Some people are just Christian in name, but not true believers. 
not really circumcised in heart, which means that the fleshly part of our hearts are cut off and we're led by the Holy Spirit. Influenced by the spirit in verse 10, it says, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father, Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, it was said to Rebecca, Isaac's wife, the older shall serve the younger. Remember, Isaac is the son of promise, the son that God promised to Abraham. And so he got Rebecca pregnant and in her womb, she has twins. And she was wondering, why is this battle? Why is this weird thing going on within her womb? And God told her that the older shall serve the younger. There's, there's two nations inside you who are fighting. Jacob and Esau, twins. And as it is written in verse 13, it says, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. And that part is quoted in Malachi chapter one, verses two and three. Now, Isaac, Rebecca and Jacob, and of course, Esau, these are real people. This is a real situation, as I mentioned. And in their situation, what we learn is something about God's election God choosing beforehand, God choosing from eternity before time even began, which God created. He created time. We understand that election is according to the purpose of God and that he chose Jacob over Esau before. Notice it says before they did anything. So it wasn't because of their works that he chose them. It says It was not of works, but of him who calls. It was according to God's purpose that he chose Jacob over Esau. I thought you said, you just said earlier in your message that God is love. You just said that, Darrell. So what is going on? Because we see in verse 13 where the word hate is used. Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Now, this type of hate that we're dealing with here is actually what we call a a Jewish idiom or saying. And it's not the hate, the, the emotional type of hate that we think of. It just means that he was less preferred. So in other words, Esau was less preferred than Jacob. And that understanding is obvious because God didn't choose Esau, but he chose Jacob, which we can infer That Jacob was more preferred than Esau. We see that in his choice. That he loved and and he chose Jacob. Now what evidence do I have that this is not the hate that we're talking about? Well if you look in Luke 14 verse 26. Remember Jesus tells us to love everybody. To love even our enemies. But in Luke 14 26. He says if anyone comes to me and does not hate It's Jesus talking and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute, Darrell. Some of us just went to a marriage retreat and we just saw something that says husbands love your wives. And Jesus is talking and he says that if we don't hate our wives, cannot be my disciple. The same understanding 
that I'm talking about in Romans 9:13 is the same understanding we should have in Luke 14:26 what Jesus is saying is that he must be loved supremely above everyone else that's all he's saying everybody else everything else should be less preferred in other words than Jesus he has to be number 1 in our lives we've heard that before that's all he's saying and uh, and along with the context of Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 what we're seeing here in Romans 9:13 is now God is talking about a national election cuz remember Jacob is the forefather of the Israelites Esau is the forefather of Edom or the Edomites so the point that is being made here is that hey God chose the nation of Israel they are his chosen people something that we are familiar with but it's using here in this lesson the names of the forefathers and so in choosing the forefather Jacob he is choosing the nation of Israel so it's talking about national election of the Israelites because remember in context in chapter 9 we're talking about the nation of Israel and how the apostle Paul is heartbroken that many of them are not believers and this choice of Jacob or the Israelites over Esau and the Edomites is is it doesn't deal with salvation it deals with service what he's going to use them for he's going to use Jacob he's going to use the Israelites you know to you know for the law and the prophecies and to bring forth Jesus and so forth now what shall we say then is there unrighteousness with God because God chose Jacob over Esau is there unrighteousness with him certainly not For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it that is God's choice is not of him who wills. It's not because a person desires um God's choice nor of him who runs. It is but of God who shows mercy. It's of God, it's his sovereign gift. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he that is God has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. That may be tough for for some to take. But here we learn more about God's God's sovereignty and and when we talk about the sovereignty of God that he is sovereign we're talking about God's right and his ability to have to have total control and to make the decisions that he wants to make. And as a sovereign God, we learn the following even from verse 11. We learn that he elects, that he chooses, and remember we're talking about the nation of Israel, that he chooses according to his purpose. We also learn that he decides in eternity before anybody does a work before anybody thinks a thought. In fact, Jacob was no perfect person. Jacob was a deceiver. So he was a sinner just like Esau. But God has a purpose. He decides in eternity. and whatever god decides and does and this is what we have to remember 
because it may be scary. Oh, God, he can do whatever he does. He, he, he wants to do. He could do whatever. So what if he does this? Well, God is not going to do anything outside of his character. Whatever God does is always right. So that question that some may pose to the apostle Paul. That that it deserves that answer. Certainly not. Is there unrighteousness with God? It deserves that answer. Absolutely not. We have to understand that there's nothing unrighteous about God. And therefore, even in his election, there's nothing unrighteous about him or about his election. Now, as a sovereign God, he chooses to have mercies on on whom he wills. He chose to have mercy upon Jacob and, and the Israelites, the nation of Israel. But it also says that God also hardened some people. Now, tune in because there's more to come on this. He's not. God didn't just say, oh, I'm just going to harden him just because. Well, if we really pay attention to the scriptures, Pharaoh hardened himself. And all God did was strengthen him in his position. We see the same thing in Romans chapter one with people who want to live in gross sin. If they want to keep going that way and ignore God, God will turn them over to a debased mind. Pharaoh, you want a heart in your heart? You want to reject what I'm telling you? You don't want to show that I am God, acknowledge me as God? Okay, then I'm going to harden you. I'm going to strengthen you in your position. And on top of that, I'm going to get glory over you because I'm going to show that I am the true and the living God, not you and not any of those idol gods you or the Egyptians worship. And so when he hardens Pharaoh, it's not just God just picking somebody you know, just to harden. This is something that he does himself. He decides that for himself and God just strengthens him in it. And then on top of that, uses it for his glory. An eternal God is able to do something like that. And in verses 19 through 21, it says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? Now that question assumes That God makes people make decisions. But you'll see that the apostle Paul doesn't address that. And we can see from the scriptures that people do have a free will. But what the Holy Spirit through Paul decides to focus on is still the sovereignty of God. And we're going to get to free will a little later. um, Not in tonight's study, but in the following study. But in verse 20, it says, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor? That is for special occasion and another for dishonor or for ordinary use for common use. So, yes, people have a choice, but that's not the focus here. The focus is on the sovereignty of God. And so that's what's being that's what we're paying our attention to here. And you're going to see an example that I'm going to show you. If you want to turn to Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 21, you're going to see that, yes, there's the sovereignty of God. God has a plan. From eternity, he planned it. But yet and still, there's a choice that people have. The perfect example to me is, is Judas. 
Because in Mark 14, 21, this is Jesus, Jesus talking. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. God's plan. Right? That's God's plan. He worked out. He planned from eternity. That the son of man will die for the sins of the world. But now the second part, you're going to see the responsibility of the one who betrayed him. Because God didn't force Judas to betray him. But God allowed him to live and use his free will to accomplish his purpose. That's what happened there because it says, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Which means that it was his decision. God didn't force him to, but God used his decision for his glory. To save those of us who are in this room tonight. And he says it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And so the focus here is that God, it's not the free will of man. And we, and like I said, we, we know that that's true. We see that in the scriptures. We're going to get to that in a later study. That's going to be more of the focus. But what's focused on here is that, that God as sovereign creator, although he knows how people are going to use their free will, some use it for good, some use it for evil, he still creates them. And uses those good and bad decisions people make all for his glory. And so when we consider those things, we would consider the sovereignty of God. There is no unrighteousness in him. Who are we to question God? And what if God in verse 22, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, what if he endured with much long suffering or patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And notice that that God is not preparing them for hell. God is not picking and choosing people. I'm going to send you to hell. You haven't. You hell. I don't like the way you look. You hell. And so he's not doing that. What's going on is people are preparing themselves for destruction. They prepare themselves for destruction. Because Jesus is clear. He says that, that the hell was made from Satan and, for Satan and his angels, those fallen angels. And it says this in Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die your house of Israel? So God doesn't want to see the death of the wicked. As a matter of fact, the only thing what God takes pleasure in is the death of his saints because now they get to come home, but not in the death of the wicked. And so that's why we want to read the scriptures in context and not just take one verse and run with it and create a theology out of it. Because where it says the vessels of wrath prepare for destruction, it's not talking about God preparing them for destruction anyway. They're preparing themselves for destruction. It is that person's decision that that sends them to hell pretty much. They make the decision to go because John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So whose fault is that, God or mankind's? 
The scriptures are clear. That's why we want to read all of the scriptures in its totality. But even still, even though he knows that some people are going to destroy themselves, but not receiving Jesus Christ, the only cure for sin, the only cure for death. Even though he knows that people are preparing themselves that way. Look at what it says. Pay close attention to verse 22. It says that he endured them with much long suffering. He's still patient with them. Even though he knows who's going to reject him, who's going to make evil decisions. He is still long suffering with them. The scriptures tell us that that God is not slack concerning his promises as some would We'll think of as slackness, but it tells us that he is long suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Yet and still, this is a long suffering God and that he might in verse 23, make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Now, that's what he prepared beforehand. Vessels of mercy. That's you and I believers in this mercy God not giving us what we really deserve. That that's that's a gift. We don't earn that. And so those of us who receive that. We are the believers. And like I said, it's available to all, but only some will appropriate it to their lives. Vessels of mercies. He prepares that beforehand and not only of the Jews. And now he's bringing in Gentiles. Believing Jew, believing Gentile form the church. And as he said also in Hosea, going to the Old Testament in verse 25, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. Now, in context, God is talking to Israel. But the Holy Spirit, the author of the scriptures in the New Testament is applying that verse to Gentiles. I will call them my people who are not my people and her beloved who was not a beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Again, a verse that in the Old Testament that's applying to the nation of Israel is here in the New Testament being applied to Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so as Gentiles, those of us who are not Jews, as we can see here, God has given us a new identity. At one point, we were not a people, but in him, the scriptures tell us in first Peter two verses nine and 10, that now we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Speaking of believers, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people, that's us. Before Christ, I was a nobody. But now I am a people. I am a somebody in Christ. And I am not condemned in Christ. I am beloved in Christ. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians 1 that we are accepted in the beloved that is talking about in Christ. So in him, we have a new identity. In first Peter two, finishing that off in verse 10 and who were once not a people, but are now, now we are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. 
Praise God. If you don't have anything to praise him for, or if you think you don't, if you don't have anything that you think you can't thank him for, praise him because of his mercy, because that is you not getting what you really deserve. That is me not getting what I really deserve. My sin is ugly. My sin separated me from God. I've done some heinous things, but praise God in Christ Jesus. I have received his mercy in verse 27 through 29. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, a focus on Israel. Now, again, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant of Israel will be saved. That small believing minority of Israel will be saved for God will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. In other words, the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth, as one translation says. And as Isaiah said before, in verse 29, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, that is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavenly armies, if unless he had left us seed, that is future generations from which a believing remnant of Israelites would come. If he didn't leave the Israelite seed, it said that they would have become like Sodom and they would have been made like Gomorrah, cities that were destroyed in the Old Testament. Now, although these Old Testament verses have a particular interpretation based on their context in the Old Testament, here in Romans 9, they are used to point out that there is a remnant, a small believing remnant of, of Israel. That have been saved spiritually. And this makes us think back to verses 6 and 9. When we were talking about the true Israel. That true spiritual Israel. Who received Jesus as their Messiah. Who are also a part of that large physical nation of Israel. And so this, this group. This remnant. Faithful to God. Now, I want to move on from Israel as we get ready to close. And as Terrence comes back up and takes the stage, as we move on from Israel, just want to ask some of you, how many of you were popular? You don't have to raise your hands, were popular, maybe in high school or college or junior high school. You, maybe you just had a ton of friends. But how many of those friends are still around? Maybe not many, right? There's, I probably had a ton of friends, but guess what? There's only now maybe a faithful few friends that I have. And the lesson tonight is designed to encourage you to be that faithful few, just like you have only a faithful group of friends at this point in your life. That you can rely on, that you could depend on a faithful group of friends who are loyal today, even though there may have been a lot of friends in the past. Just want to encourage you to be a part of that faithful few, a part of that loyal few. That's loyal to the true and the living God that is loyal to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Continue to be faithful to him, even when that group of faithful believers seems to be dwindling. Become a part of that few. 
continue to be a part of the faithful few when mainstream Christians are maybe not faithful as they used to be. Continue to be a part of the faithful few when the laws of the land are intimidating some Christians to the point where they compromise and and now they're not letting their light shine as they should, but they're hiding the light under the bushel at this point. They're becoming secret agent Christians at this point. Are you a part of the faithful few today? When other people points out how wrong you are on your various biblical views, are you still going to be a part of the faithful few who's going to stick to those biblical views? Who's still going to stick with God? Who's still going to stick with Jesus? Even though his name is offensive to many, many people on TV, they can say all these names of these other gods and prophets, but they are offended at the name of Jesus because it is at the name of Jesus that demons tremble. But are you a part of that faithful few who's going to hang out with the one who makes the demons tremble? Are you a part of the faithful few? Who hangs out with the king of kings who has a name that is above all names. Are you going to be a part of the faithful few who are going to continue to raise your children according to the word of God. And not according to the ways of this society and culture that we belong to. Are you a part of the faithful few who are going to stick to sound biblical doctrine. The only doctrine that really matters. If you're tempted to perhaps stray away. If you're tempted if you're tempted to kind of give in to the pressure, you're, you're tired of being slandered on Facebook. You're tired of being slandered on Twitter. You're tired of every time you see a news report on TV or on the Internet, they're bad mouthing you as a Christian. You're tired of going into work and you hear people whispering about you because you have your Bible on your desk. And so you're tempted to kind of. Not allow your light to shine. If you're tempted in that way, I want to share with you tonight that we cannot please God and be popular with the world. James 4 verse 4, if you want to write this down. It's getting late in the night. James 4 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It puts you at odds with God. By trying to be friends with the world, by trying to please the world, by trying to be popular with the world. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so when is it the time to take a stand? Tomorrow, in the future, now. There's no reason for us to not take a stand. If you remember the lesson in Romans chapter 8, and I leave you with this final verse. Romans 8, the second half of verse 31. Remember this. If God is for us, who could be against us? We may have many enemies, but it won't matter. Start taking a stand today. I'm not telling you to be an irritant. I'm not telling you to be belligerent and vulgar as a Christian. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. I'm just saying today is the day to take a stand. And yeah, we may be worrying about what people are going to say about us, what they may do to us physically. But again, go back to Romans 8.31. If God 
before us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Help us, Lord, to continue to be loyal, to be a part of that faithful few when others are compromising, when others are giving up. Help us, Lord, to not give up. Help us to continue to represent you. The only king who matters. And for those who are on the verge of compromising. For those who are tempted to throw in the towel. Lord, we know, we know it doesn't feel good. But may you remind us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Lord, I do thank you for using the nation of Israel. Use them to record scripture. Gave the law to them. The prophecies. And Lord, they revered you so much that they were careful in copying the biblical text. And most of all, we thank you for using that nation to bring in your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And so, Father, I pray for every believer in this room tonight that you will embolden them by the power of your spirit, that you would give them strength, that you would help them to set their their faces as flint in the midst of a perverse generation. To not focus on the negative noise. To focus on you. And to be a part of the faithful. Even if it's only a few of us. And Lord, we could only do this by your grace and by your power, not in our own strength. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And may you help my brothers and sisters to have a blessed month of December in which also we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And may you protect them on the way home, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your prayers, your attentiveness. Again, um, last study of 2019. Um, If you can make it out to Carolyn next week, we would love to see you. If you come out, please do not listen too closely to my voice as I sing. I don't want to be a distraction. That's why I'm not up here with Terrence. God bless you and we love you. Oh, honey mine, why must you stray from one so fair? You run away one more time. You have to pay the 